invitation at that point, Gemini. I think I forgot to wire up today. I've been gone too long and forgot to do that. I'm not going to run around, but thank you, gentlemen, for that song. If your Bibles are open to Psalm 90, we will look at some other verses in a little bit. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's believed that he wrote this while he was wandering through the wilderness with the children of Israel. God had providentially raised up Moses to be used to lead Israel out of bondage in Egypt after 400 years of slavery. They went to Mount Sinai and they were there for a couple of years where they received the law, the word of God, built the tabernacle, and then they began the journey to Canaan land. They arrived at a place called Kadesh Barnea and they could see across the Jordan River from where they were, the land that they'd only dreamed about uh, for many, many generations. And they were the first generation of Jewish people to actually see the promised land. They sent some spies into the land for 40 days and they searched it out. They mapped out the land, where are the big cities, what's it all about, what's it look like. And they came back and they said, surely it is a land that flows with milk and honey. They brought back some of the, the fruit and things that they found in the land. And everybody at first got excited, but for some reason, 10 of those spies brought back an evil report. They said, but, oh, it's a good place, but. Be careful if somebody says, yeah, it's a good church, but. Or living for God is good, but. You realize goats, but. We're not goats, we're sheep. But these 10 people said, oh, but there are walled cities there and there are giants that live there. And in our own sight, we look like grasshoppers. And, and uh, they, they brought up such a bad report of the promised land that all of God's people began to, to cry and to murmur and complain and said, would God, we'd have died in Egypt. Now we're going to be slaughtered. Our children are going to be slaughtered. And uh, their unbelief overwhelmed them. The Bible says in Hebrews, God was grieved with that generation, grieved over their unbelief. And God said, because you wouldn't trust me to take you in and give you the victory that I've been promising you all along, you're going to turn back and you're going to wander in the wilderness one year for every day that they spied out the land. That's 40 years. And at the end of 40 years, when the generation in charge now, when your carcasses have all been buried in the wilderness, I'll bring your children into that land and they'll claim the promise that you have snubbed. Moses was a man of faith. Moses didn't doubt God, neither did Joshua or Caleb, but Moses was stuck with the decision of the majority. And there he was wandering in the wilderness with a cantankerous people, waiting until those 40 years were up. And it was sometime during that wandering that Moses penned the words that we read a portion of this morning. In this psalm, there's actually some praise. It's difficult when you realize you have to wait. How many are good at waiting? Anybody? We don't like waiting for anything. It's difficult. But, so, but Moses began his psalm praising God for just being God from ever, everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. He's understanding the power and the position of Almighty God. There's a lot of prayer that is in this psalm. Uh, if you would look at verse number 12, teach us, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That is a prayer. Verse 13 is a prayer. Return, O Lord, how long? Let it repent thee concerning thy service, thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
So he, he realizes that they deserve judgment, but Lord, please, please could you shorten those days. Lord, satisfy us with your mercy, and there's prayer as a part of it. Verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants. Don't, don't be done with us. Don't, don't wash your hands of us. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, thy glory unto their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish thou the work of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands. Establish thou it. So there was praise and certainly a lot of prayer. But most of Psalm 90 is Moses pondering, just thinking about what all this means, reflecting on where they are, why they are there, and what they should learn from it, what they should do with all of that. And God inspired Moses to write this down, and it has been preserved in the word of God for us that we might learn about it. One of the things that Moses ponders, and he ponders it quite often in this little chapter, is the brevity of man's life. The brevity of man's life. Look at you would in verse number five. Thou carriest them, the, the them is talking about the children of men. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. Some parts of our country are prone to what are called flash floods. And in a matter of minutes, water can come cascading down the mountains. And uh, just like that, it can wipe out everything in its path. And he says, that's what man is like. One moment we're there, and the next moment this flood overtakes us, and we are washed away. He said, they are as asleep. I've no idea how long my procedure was on Thursday. I just know that they started putting something in my IV. And I remember looking up, trying to figure out what that thing was above my head. And the next thing I know, the doctor's talking to me about the procedure. It was all done. Sleep does that to us. We have no track of time. And just like that, it's gone. In the morning, they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning, it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening, it is cut down and withereth. This is an example God uses all through the Bible about the, the brevity of man's life. We're here, we're flourishing, and just like that, we're cut down and withered away. It says in verse number 9, all our days are passed away in thy wrath. And he was referring to those people uh, journeying through the wilderness. They had, they had angered God, and now they were dealing with God's judgment. He said, we spend our years as a tale that is told. Once upon a time, the end. It's true for all of us. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. A score is twenty. Threescore means sixty, and ten is seventy. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years or eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Many in this room today are of my age group, and we're trying to figure out how in the world did we get here. Am, am I right? Why am I getting letters from Social Security saying it's time to sign up for Medicare? Seriously? But it's, that's just the way of life. And, and Moses spends a lot of time med meditating on this fact about the brevity of life. Moses not alone in that. The Bible points us to this truth over and over. Turn with me back a book in your Bible to Job chapter 7. Job does this a lot in the middle of his trials. We'll only look at one section, though he does it over and over again. Job chapter 7 in verse 6, he says, My days are swifter 
than a weaver's shuttle. If you have anybody watch, uh, watched anybody weaving like they would have done in the olden days in the shuttle that goes back and forth real fast, he said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall no more see good. It's a wind that comes and then suddenly it's gone and you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it went. He said, that's what life is like. Psalm 39 Psalm 39, David expressed his thoughts about this same issue. Psalm 39 and verse 4, David actually is praying as he thinks it through. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as in hand breath. A hand breath is from the tip of your little finger to the tip of your thumb. That's not a real big space. Now, if you're him, that's like a foot and a half. Um, but for a little guy like me, that's my, not much. David said, that's what you've made my days like. Mine ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. And then there's the word selah. Selah is a musical term. It's, it's like a rest. It says, you just pause right here and think about that. We think we're invincible when we're young. We think we're going to live forever. We don't think about consequences. We don't think about what this means somewhere out there. We've got lots of time to do everything that we, want, we ought to do. In the meantime, we will do what we want to do. He said our, our days are vanity. They are so quickly here and gone. Selah, think about that. Luke chapter 12, the Savior talked about it. The brevity of life. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he, that's the Lord Jesus, spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul... So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. He didn't say someday, someday thy soul shall be required. He said this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And the Savior said, Do you understand how quickly your life is here and then it is gone. He called this man a fool because he didn't see law, that thought, like Psalm 39 admonishes us to do. Look, if you would, one more place, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're just sort of sampling the many, many scriptures that deal with this particular subject. James chapter 4 and verse 14, the Bible says, Wherefore... Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. How many things have things planned for tomorrow? Anybody? I know it's a holiday. Uh, how many plan on sleeping in? Anybody? That's, that's every kid. Noon is going to come way too early for them. Uh, you know, we, we've got our plans. He said, but whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. It's amazing how quickly our, quickly our plans can get disrupted. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then poof, vanisheth away. And so James reminds us of the brevity of life. And this ought to be a sila 
moment for every one of us. And Moses spends a lot of time, let's go back to our text, on the subject of the brevity of life. As Moses ponders that, one of his prayers was found in verse number 12. Knowing that our life is like grass that grows one day and the same evening is cut down and withered, that we're like a tale that is told, we're carried away as a flood, we're like a sleep, and so on and so, so forth. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, we know the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Thing is, we don't know when the day of our death will be. We have no idea. So to say, teach us to number our days, well, I've got 498 days, or I've got 12,000 days left, we don't know that, so we can't number like that. The word number means to measure, to weigh out, to assign value to. When Moses says, so teach us to number our days, Moses is saying, Lord, would you teach us the value of every day? Would you teach us to realize that the day that I have right now is an important day, to value this day? And then he says that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Help us to understand that life is so fast, it is so fleeting, the best thing that we can do is to realize this is the day which the Lord hath made. And if I'm a wise man, I will live this day for the power and the glory of God. Amen. Moses is reflecting the brevity of life. He's reflecting on it during a time of difficulty and trouble. You know that many of the Psalms of David were written right after he went through some kind of a trial? Sometimes it was his own failure, like Psalm 51, and he had sinned with Bathsheba, and the consequences of those sins had been re that sin had been uh, uh, revealed to him by the hand of Nathan the prophet. And, and at that time, David writes down, this is where I am, and this is what, what I went through, and this is what God taught me. Some were written when he was in the cave, surrounded by King Saul. Often the psalms that we read and cherish are those from a time in David's life when he went through some great trial and he's reflecting on it, saying, here's what God taught me. David said in Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. David said, I went through some trials, but I'm looking back on it now and finding out what God taught me and I'm realizing that it was actually good for me to have gone through that. The Apostle Paul very often took the time to reflect on his own trials and to share valuable insights to the churches and the Christians that he wrote to. This morning, this morning I wish to follow the biblical example and be very reflective upon some recent events in my own life and to share those with you. I'd be remiss if I did not say that the last couple of days uh, in particular, uh, have been uh, very dramatic in that sense. And some things that I've been meditating on. Friday morning at 5.30, young man came into my room to draw blood. Why can't they do that at 7.30? Don't go to the hospital to get any sleep. That is just not going to happen. But this young man came in to draw blood, a very sharp young man and very talkative uh, and so forth, and as he was doing his work, he, you know, he asked me the question, you know, what are you here for? Kind of like in prison. <laughs> so what are you in for? 
and uh, so he asked me, he said, what are you here for? And so I, I, I told him, I said, I've been having chest pains for the last couple of months. And uh, so yesterday I had a heart catheterization and uh, they discovered uh, uh, the, the, the left anterior artery of my heart had a very large blockage, about 80% blockage. And uh, so he listened, and uh, as he's preparing to leave, he's just trying to look to me. He goes, you're a lucky man. He said, most people don't survive that. And that's first that I'd heard that, and I wasn't quite sure what it meant. I knew to have a blocked artery with that kind of blockage is not a good thing, but he said, most people do not survive that. My good friend, Pastor Tom Benson, texted me about an hour later. He's been texting me several times a day through the whole thing. And uh, he asked me, uh, you know, what had happened. So I told him the same thing. And Brother Benson said, you know, there's a name for that. And I said, I, I, no, I didn't. He said, um, ask your nurse what the name for it is. And he left it at that. He wouldn't tell me. It's like, yeah, all right, just tell me that and then leave me hanging. What kind of a friend is this? And, uh, but later on when my nurse uh, came in, they, they, it just got very, very busy uh, with discharge and, and instructions and, and all those things that uh, I now have to follow uh, and so forth. And it just really slipped my mind. And so I got home and I looked it up. And what I had goes by the name of the widow maker. The nurse was right. Most people with a blockage of 80% in that particular artery do not survive. You understand the last couple months, every time you've seen me do this, could have been the last moment of my life. You understand I've been living on borrowed time because I had a blockage in there that if it had gone much longer, possibly, most likely, would have taken my life. So I'm reflecting on it. I'm reflecting. Is he okay? We got a doctor here. We got a doctor here. Everybody pray. Would you just pray? Just take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, please take care of our dear brother. Lord, you know exactly what's going on. You know what he needs. Thank you that we have a doctor here and help him to get the care that he needs. Can I get someone to call 911? Would somebody volunteer? Just one person? Just one person? It's being done? Okay, he's getting up. Hold off for a moment. You okay? You do not have to apologize, my friend, not even a little bit. I'm, I'm so happy to see you up and walking. Brother Steve, you'll take care of him. Thank you, sir. We know that all things work together for good. I do not know exactly why God does what he does, but that did not happen by accident. No man could have planned that. Perhaps God's giving somebody in here just a major wake-up call. Since Friday and I found out the severity of what I had, I didn't quite understand it. 
until that moment when I looked on and saw that it's called the widow maker, I've been as reflective as Moses or David or Job and saying, so teach me to number my days that I may apply my heart unto wisdom. As I reflect on it, a couple things have happened. It has made me thankful. It has made me thankful. I am thankful for the mercy of God. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136, that phrase, for his mercy endureth forever, is used in 26 different verses. Every verse in the psalm. It talks about that everything God does for his people is because his mercy endureth forever. Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. I'm thankful for the mercies of God. Anything that God ever does for us is due to the mercy of God. We don't deserve anything. We got this idea sometimes, well, I deserve this, that, or the other because I've been faithful. We're sinners, period. We are saved by the grace of God. It is God's mercy that saved us. We need to understand that I'm deserving of his wrath. I'm deserving of his judgment. Anything better than that is just all the mercy of God. I don't deserve to be heard by him when I pray. It's mercy that lets me come to the, to the throne of grace. Amen? It's mercy. God's a good God. And, and his goodness just extends his mercy to us. And this morning, I'm as thankful as a man can be for the mercies of God. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm thankful for my salvation. It, I, I keep reflecting. You realize at any time in the last couple of months... It could have been the big one, but I'd have been in heaven. I'd have been in heaven. And there they don't have heart problems. I'd have two good legs. I had a dream the other night that I woke up in the morning and my leg grew back. And then I woke up and I was so disappointed. (laughs) But someday that's going to be my reality. I'm glad I'm saved. And even today as I stand before you, I am, I'm overwhelmed at the brevity of life, but I realize this, no matter what, no matter what happens, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to heaven. Do you have that same assurance? There was a rich man in Luke chapter 12 that thought that life was all about wealth and bigger barns and enjoyment and all that kind of stuff, and he had never given any thought to the things of God. He was not rich toward God in any way, especially in salvation. And God called him a fool. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Thou fool. Does God look at us and say, you're a fool. You're living as if there is no tomorrow. You're living as if you've got forever to get saved and you you need to understand it could all end just like that. I'm thankful for the assurance of my salvation. I'm thankful for the people that God's placed in my life. I've had text, Facebook messages from people all over the world, people that I don't, don't even know in some cases that have been praying. I'm thankful for doctors, nurses, and staff that just didn't give up. The uh, night after uh, I went home on Friday night, when I went home, I got a text about 10 o'clock at night from a family member, obviously not one of my children, 
And all they did, and they didn't say, man, I'm glad you're okay, didn't say I've been praying for you, uh, none of that. They just went on and on about how stupid my doctors were and how ignorant they are and closed with the thing, well, I hope I never get sick when I'm in Connecticut. Uh, and I wanted to say, you haven't been in Connecticut in a decade or more, so I don't think you have anything to worry about there. And I wanted to fire back something real sad, but it was a group text. And I waited and prayed about it. And a couple hours later, I just said, sent a text back and said, I'm thankful for the doctors, the nurses, the technicians that worked with me. It wasn't their fault that my pain was on the wrong place. Heart pain should be here. My pain was over here. That's not, that's not normal which normal is not what I've usually been accused of being anyhow. <laughs> it wasn't normal for pancreatitis, though they checked for that, or gallbladder issues, though they checked for that. They ran all kinds of tests. I've had more e EKGs. I can do my own EKG now. <laughs> I've had that many of them done. I know where all those little stickers that rip your flesh off, I know exactly where to put every single one of them. I've had so many. Every EKG came back and said the heart is fine. I've had three MRIs, I've had three sets of x-rays, I've had three CAT scans, I've had a, 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 a stress test. Every one of them came back and said, the heart is fine, the heart is fine, the heart is fine. The doctors were operating with the information that they had. And they were doing the best that they had. And again, my pain was in the wrong place. Well, I'm glad they didn't give up though. At Wednesday, when, when I was at Midstate, the, the lead cardiologist came in and spent time in my room. And I said, look, sir, I understand right now I'm just occupying a bed getting pain medicine. Boy, am I thankful for happy juice. Uh, got me through that week. I said, I realize that I'm just here occupying a bed getting pain medicine, and, and that can't go on forever. And he stopped me. He said, he said Mr. Bish, he said, um, we may not have an answer today, but you're not going home till we find one. Stepped out of my room and he was on the phone with four or five other people. My daughter heard him calling, consulting with my cardiologist, with my doctor, with other people. Finally walked back in and said, we're transferring you. There's a test that can be done that we don't have the, the, the machinery, the capability to do here. So we're going to transfer you to St. Vincent. And that's where they ran the test that saved my life. I'm thankful. I'm thankful they didn't give up. Be thankful for the people in your life. Stop, stop criticizing and complaining about them. Just be thankful for them. Love them. Appreciate them. But not only am I thankful, this has made me very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. I'm just going to repeat a little bit about what Moses and Job and David had to say. I've been very thoughtful about the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Can I just say this to everybody in this room and look this way. We know what's going on and we, he's okay and, and uh, we appreciate that. Um, if you're not saved this morning, whether you're sitting in this room, you're watching via the live stream, if you've never been saved, um, you're taking the most terrible risk in assuming that you'll have another chance. This could be it. This might be the last time God speaks to your heart about it. This might be your last day on earth. And I'm, I'm not trying to be gloomy. I'm not trying to, you know, be negative and all that. That's the reality that Moses, David, Job, even the Lord Jesus Christ talked to us about. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, but you are guaranteed today. Wherefore, the Bible says, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, Hebrews chapter 3. 
the brevity of life, if you've not gotten serious yet about your relationship with God, I, I wonder sometimes about people, when will it ever matter to them? When will living for God and being a good Christian even matter to them? How, how long are they going to sit in church and every time something gets preached that they don't like, they just stare at the floor, they clench their jaw, but bless God, they're not giving in. How long? One day you're going to stand before God like, like I am going to stand before God and we're going to give an account even for every idle word the Savior said. How long until you get serious about this thing and get some things right with God and get your relationship where it ought to be? How long? How long are you going to put off witnessing to the people God's placed in your life? There are people on my prayer list that I've been praying for for years about getting saved. One of them has been texting me every day this week. Tomorrow, I plan to tell him about Christ one more time. And I want him to understand how serious this is. When are you going to take the time? See, I don't work with who you work with. Your neighbors are not my neighbors. I, I don't go to school where you go to school. Your, your relatives are not mine. I've got my own to deal with. When are you going to witness to them? It's one thing to know the gospel, but are you doing anything with it? It's one thing to say, why aren't there more people out soul winning? Well, why aren't you out? What, what, when are we going to get serious about this thing that people are living in borrowed time? Not just us. Not just us, the brevity of life. I've been thinking a lot about the value of every day. The value of every day. Let me read again Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. He's talking about that generation that wouldn't believe God at Kadesh Barnea, and they said, we're not going to obey God. We're not going to follow Today's the only day I've got to live for God. And I realize I don't have a lot to give today. I'm a little on the tired side and a little bit of pain left over from the procedure. But I may not have much to give, but I'm trying to give everything I've got because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, neither are you. The value of every day. So teach us to number our days. What are you going to do for God today? Are you going to listen to his voice? You're going to wait out another invitation. Just stay put. Or are you going to say, Lord, you've spoken to my heart. And, and I want you to know I'm going to listen. By the way, if he hadn't spoken to my heart, then that's your invitation. God, I didn't hear your voice. How come you're speaking to everybody else but not to me? When God gives me the silent treatment... I get worried. I get worried. When Trina gave me the silent treatment, it was never a good sign. It was a sign that somewhere along the, the line, I was an idiot, and if I ever wanted to eat again, <laughs> I better do something about it. God gives the silent treatment. God gave King Saul the silent treatment because Saul wouldn't listen to God, and the day came when Saul needed God and found out God wouldn't listen to him. So even if you say, well, I sat here and God didn't tell me anything, then you ought to be asking God, Lord, 
what is going on in my heart that you wouldn't talk to me. And we're going to waste our days with complaining, criticizing, carelessness, or corruption. Or we're going to spend our days in praise and prayer and purposely living for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think it's amazing the men sang the song and they sang that very verse of Scripture. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The famous missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life for God in the jungles of Ecuador, while he was a student in Bible college, wrote these words in his diary. He said, only one life so soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Just one more time, Moses wrote incredible counsel for us. Counsel that I've been mulling over an awful lot in the last few days. So teach us to number our days, to place value, to assign weight to our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Will you be wise enough to do that?